Every action has an equal and opposite. We have an interesting dynamic that's happening from Matthew chapter 3 leading up to Matthew chapter 4. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. As we jump in here today, I anticipated going through all of Matthew chapter 4 today. That did not even remotely happen, but I am confident that we'll be able to put that together as it is a precursor in a way and opening up to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll get into that next week. Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Did you know there's also Lucifer's Law? Anything that he can destroy, he will destroy. That is so true. It happens. It's amazing how at any given time the enemy is as truly uh, walking around seeking whom he may devour. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, stay alert, stay alert, watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Today you will see that uh, any action of God invites a reaction of Satan. Anytime the Lord's doing something, the enemy's there trying to undo something. Whenever we see temptations, we can, we'll see today that temptations will often come right after a blessing. Temptations will often come when you're at your weakest. This is why I tell people when you're, the reason why you got in trouble at 2 a.m., because you weren't designed to be up at 2 a.m. You should have been doing something else. Or maybe you shouldn't have been out if you could avoid it. Things of that nature. Because we get tired. Most of our bad choices happen at times when we are the most tired because we're weak, we're vulnerable. Today we're going to, my, my goal today is to share with you, reveal to you the schemes of the enemy, to show you that we really do in fact have an enemy. He has nothing good in him for you or for himself or anything good whatsoever. He is completely and utterly against God and everything God stands for and tries to do and does do. There's nothing inside of him that says, well, I'll give this one a break. There is no love. There is no grace. There is no mercy. And there is nothing cute about the enemy. Now, there was a movie that popped on the scene a number of years ago that when we say things like, oh man, the devil and his little minions are going to get you. And we typically have this little picture of this little guy thinking, oh, you know what? It can't be that bad. I mean, after all, isn't he so cute? And we will oftentimes let down our guard thinking, well, how bad can the enemy really be? I mean, after all, God is love. So therefore, isn't, isn't there even a shred? Not even a shred. Not these, this would be amazing to have around here. Wouldn't that be so great? The enemy and the, and the devils that serve him are not something to mess with or to take lightly. 
So we're going to talk through that today as we learn about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go through probably the first 11 or 12 verses or so, and then we'll see where we stand there. Two types of people that usually address anything to do with the enemy. One side, uh, and these are polar opposites, one side, it goes looking for the enemy, trying to find the devil in everything that goes on in the world and trying to attack, trying to pick fights. Oh, let me at him. I'll take him down, always going after, kind of like the old TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's nothing in scripture where Jesus actually goes to try to pick a fight or to seek because the enemy is not the focus of his ministry. It is to seek and to save that which is lost. The enemy gets on the scene and he will deal with him when he shows up. And he does. We will see that. So one side, people are going after him. The other uh, spectrum, the other end of the spectrum, the polar opposite, is believing that he doesn't actually exist. Which, from my opinion, is probably worse. Because how powerful is an enemy if you don't ever see him coming? To actually deny the existence of the enemy is to deny the fact that you do in fact have an enemy and you can let this enemy in at any given time because you're not aware of his schemes and devices. But we're told in 2 Corinthians that we are actually not ignorant to the things he does. But sometimes we just don't know. So this is an opportunity for us to have a moment of discipleship to show you exactly some of those, so you can have discernment, so you can see it coming and go, not going that direction, I see all over that. Now we walk into moments and we don't even realize it, and before, before, we, before it's too late, we go, I didn't even see that coming. As believers, we should be aware. We should be aware of what's going on around us. All temptation can be placed in one of three categories, which you can find in 1 John chapter 2. So just write down 1 John chapter 2 if you have your message note guide there. These are super cool to kind of keep some notes. I try to put in as much as I possibly can on the one page, but then of course you have room over here to make some additional notes. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, uh, reading from the King James Version, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. Every temptation you experience and the temptations that Jesus experienced can be placed into one of these three categories. You see, the enemy is not trying anything new. He has actually been doing this from the very beginning. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 in verse 6. There is a conversation between the enemy... And a woman and the husband was there. Read through the scripture and you'll be able to see uh, how that all kind of played out. If you're not familiar with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And so here we read so in, in, in 3.6 of Genesis. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, right, provisions, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She then took it and ate it. 
This is nothing new. He has a very simple strategy, the enemy does, Satan does, to attack anyone and everyone at any given time. That's why he's looking, lurking around. Now, of course, he can't be everywhere at the exact same time. He is not all-present. He is not all-knowing. That's why he does have the minions, if you will, that do his work for him. He does not know all things. He tries to duplicate the Father, but he cannot be the Father. So he's always looking, always prowling. Now, that, that verse that I read, 1 John chapter 2, let me read it again from 1 John chapter 2 in the New Living Translation so you can see it a little bit clearer as well. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and processes and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. It's a posture of the heart. It's when you notice something and you look away and you look back that is the issue. When you notice it, you're going to notice things all day. Oh, I see this, I see this, I see that. But it's when you fixate on that, you desire. So that word lust is this, in, this inner desire to want that. I want that because I see that it is pleasurable to me physically, my flesh, to my eyes. And then I can be okay, right? Everything's got to be okay. And then we have this pride that runs over us. Last week, we learned from John. I call him Obi-John. You know Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Jedi Master. Obi-John's my Jedi Master. I'm just saying, like, he's, we, we have lunch regularly, and we talk through some stuff, and I just love his um, willingness to dive into God's Word and to share it with us as well. I'm taking some of what he shared last week, and I'm going to, like, kind of capitalize on that to move us into chapter 4. So I'm going to read a little bit of Matthew chapter 3 to kind of show you the interesting dynamic that we have that goes from a blessing to a temptation, from the blessing of the Lord to, a temp to an attack of the enemy, this equal and opposite reaction. So Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And so here in this picture we have the Trinity displayed and together. You have the Father's voice from heaven. You have the Spirit of God coming and resting upon the Son who is in the present, in the presence, in flesh. This beautiful moment where the heavens are opened. Moments later, it's as the opposite, the reaction, where now hell is opened. God does this amazing, I mean, imagine what a beautiful moment, significant moment. John says, I should be being baptized by you. And he says, no, let this be done. John the baptizer got to baptize Jesus, the Lamb of God. He comes out, oh, just a moment. And now we're going to walk into Matthew chapter 4 after this moment occurs to see the truth that lies in Hebrews 4, which is that this, is a, this high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So 
So if you look at that, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he experienced all of that. And not just in these three, we'll see later on that there was even more opportunities for the devil to try to tempt Jesus. So Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, or other translated would be like desert, to be tempted there by the devil. Clearly the Holy Spirit is in charge completely. Not just, oops, I, I wasn't paying attention, or what's going on here? The Holy Spirit is leading uh, Jesus, guiding Jesus every step of the way. You notice that this occurs, as I said before, uh, right after an incredible blessing, after an incredible moment. You, you'll, you'll, you've noticed this as well. If you were baptized uh, in front of a church family, and, and then, man, what a moment, right? Like, I'm, I'm showing outwardly what has happened inwardly, and it's just, it's just a really great moment for the church family, all of us together celebrating, and then the next day or the day after, it seems like everything fell apart. Man, I tell you what, I gave my life to Jesus on Sunday, and then Monday my car broke down. Tuesday, so-and-so left me. Wednesday, that's what happens. It can happen that way. Not to freak you out. Not to be afraid of it. Because the truth is, you're not, you're not fighting this battle to become victorious. You're actually fighting it because you are already victorious in Christ. So you're fighting this in a, from a place of victory, not to attain it. Make sense? See the difference? And so we just submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and then he flees. So we have these moments with incredible blessings, and this isn't anything new. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that when the Israelites were freed from uh, many generations of slavery, right after they're free, as they're, as they're just getting to the, right, the body of water right there, and they're looking around, and then they look back, and Pharaoh's army's coming down. Great blessing of freedom. And oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? People start freaking out. When King Hezekiah held Passover in Jerusalem for the first time in a very long time, you know what? We're going to get this thing right. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to do better. And they do it. They're like, yeah. And then right after that, the Assyrian army surrounds them to attack. Now they didn't. Nothing happened there. Nothing, they didn't overtake or anything. But the threat was there nonetheless. The, the transfiguration of Jesus that we talked about, we'll get into again. Jesus is, 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 is displayed in his transfiguration. And then they see Elijah and they see Moses. And there's a, some of the disciples say, wow, what a moment. Look at this. Can you believe anything? We got to see Elijah and Moses. What's going on? And it was just a moment. They come down the hill and they're met by a demon-possessed kid. And then the dad goes, well, your disciples couldn't do anything about it. Maybe you can. Challenging the authority and power of Jesus right away. So be aware of the fact that these things happen. Receive the blessings of the Lord. Be excited about it. And stay alert. Stay alert. Don't be ignorant to the enemy's devices. Be aware of what's going on. This week I anticipated would be unique because of the content that I was coming in here to share. And each time something popped up, I was aware, yep, okay, well, there's that, 
right? And it could be, it could be little things, it could be big things. Somebody I wasn't expecting to see, um, ever, <laughs> just kind of popped up. Um, uh, you know, you have your, your vehicles uh, will break down. I've had that. There was something else. I just didn't fixate on the stuff. I just, uh, there was a message. There was a message that I received that was kind of like a... And I just laughed. I didn't know what else to do. I just giggled. Because it's our battle is not with flesh and blood people. Our battle is with the enemy. And so at the end of the day, I know it's coming. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it. I know that we have an enemy. And my enemy is not you. Your enemy is not me. We are the church. And we are supposed to be bound together with unity to care for one another. Verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now you'd say, well that makes sense. You don't eat, you're hungry. But it's interesting when you think about the extent of time of fasting that occurred here. So we're talking about 40 days. What happens, now I have not done this where I've gone 40 days Fasting, or we just drink water, whatever it is. I've not done that. Uh, personally, I've done up to about 10 days or so, the Daniel fast uh, guide. And so I've done, I've done things like that, but not the 40 days. What I understand, though, with fasting and the way that your body was designed, the first couple of days are really hard, right? The, the day one, you want to hurt somebody. <laughs> That's day one. Day two, you might. If you make it beyond like a couple days, all of a sudden now your body is just not hungry anymore. Your body has adjusted. Now it's actually feeding on itself the way it was designed. That's why your body actually stores fat cells so that if you go through a period of time where you don't eat, your body actually can feed itself. But there comes a point in time where once that, once that hunger comes back, now you have reached a literal point of starvation. Your body is now starving to death when that hunger comes back. So Jesus is at a point where the hunger has returned and now his body is just craving. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. This physical hunger that he had inside of him Let's talk about fasting for a second. I think it's worth mentioning what is fasting, what is not fasting. What is not fasting is a sanctified diet. It's not a spiritual way to lose weight. I know, I'll do the Bible diet. There's a little fasting in there and then I'll look good in three weeks, right? It's not that. It's, you do not do it for that in any way, shape, or form. And that's not what it's for. A way, it's not a way to manipulate God to get what you want. Well, I've been praying for weeks, but I think I'll fast. And then that'll really twist his arm. Uh, no, actually. No, that's not what it's for. Fasting has a very specific reason behind it. It's a means by which you deny your body, your flesh... Whatever you uh, are denying it, in this case, food, uh, that you can focus on spiritual things. If you look at, we don't have time to go through Isaiah 58 today, but if you write down Isaiah 58 and go through it later, and just read through what God shared through the prophet Isaiah about fasting, it is not about losing weight. It's about refocusing your attention 
So food's a good way to do it, sure. But it's also other ways that you can do it. Back in the day, they didn't have cell phones, right? They didn't have to fast like texting or social media. Great thing for you to fast when you, when you decide, hey, I'm going to take a break from this or from that. A young man uh, came up to me after first service. For whatever reason, the Lord's been working on him, and he handed me his phone. He didn't want it for a week. Okay, <laughs> I got you. Let's figure this out together. Let's see what's going to happen. Imagine what could happen if you could just clear your mind for a period of time. Jesus was tempted at his weakest. He was tempted right after the moment. I, I can't imagine that the enemy would show up right after he walked into the desert, into the wilderness uh, with you, right? So like, okay, like, here we go. Some alone time with the Lord. I'm sure the devil started almost immediately to kind of trying to wear down. And, um, but he really seems to intensify this through this passage as he's the weakest. Verse 3, during the time, during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this word, if, it's not a matter of like, if you are, if you're not, but more rather it is in lieu of the fact that you are. So we're not denying the fact, he's not denying the fact that he is in fact the Son of God. Even more so, imagine the, the dig since you are the son of God, why don't you go ahead and turn these rocks into bread? Now, that's not a temptation to us. Why? Because you can't turn rocks into bread. You just, you just can't. I don't know if you've tried, but you can't do it. But you can overbuy. You can overget. You can overdo it in thinking you need more and more and more. This is a questioning of God's provision. Okay, so in light of the fact that you are God's son, why hasn't he fed you yet? Why hasn't he provided for you? Why hasn't he done for you what I would think he would do for you? You know what? Don't worry about it. Just do it yourself. No harm, no foul. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. No, he probably didn't say that. Questioning God's provision. But Jesus told him, no, scripture says... People do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he immediately goes to using scripture, Deuteronomy 8. These are the scriptures that Jesus would have memorized, he would have studied, and he knew he was ready for this moment. Hey, why don't you feed yourself? We don't, we, man doesn't live on bread alone. There's something much more empowering me than you even understand. There's something greater. How could he do this if he had not prepared ahead of time? You cannot start preparing to fight the battle in the battle. You have to start preparing now by going through scripture and studying it, digesting it. This is literally your spiritual food. And Jesus knew exactly what to say. In this moment, he was 100% he was man, 100% God. And here he is uh, quoting scripture to fight this battle. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, in lieu of the fact that you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, now watch this. 
Satan knows scripture too. And he pulls out Psalm 91. He will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. That's what the scriptures say. Clearly it's right. People do this all the time. Where they oh, take a verse out of the Bible. They mold it into what they want. And then they throw it. That's what it says. Or does it say that? So let's look at this for just a moment. First, let me, uh, this, this peak here, let's, let's take a little bit of a picture of what we're looking at here. The peak would have been most likely Solomon's porch overlooking the Kidron Valley. Now the Kidron Valley is going to pop up again as we look at the arrest of Jesus because the disciples had to go through the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is all that area. So he's looking down at the peak of the temple 450 feet in the air. This would have made news, man. The fact that somebody jumped off, angels came, picked him up. Man, that would have gone viral, no problem. You don't have to really like put out ads. We can make your, your glory known right now. Think about it. It could be so easy. Scripture says, or does it? Matthew chapter 4, let's look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91, for he shall give his angels charge over you. Here's what Satan left out. To keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Why does that matter? Because the whole text in context, is suggesting that a child of God operating in the will of God, doing the ways of God, are protected. You jumping off the side of a building saying, Lord, you said you would catch me, is not in the will of God. It, it, it had been a news article a while back that I had seen that in international waters somewhere, there's a group of people that are trying to show great faith. So they were on the side of a boat, and they said, if you have great faith, the Lord will catch you if you jump over the side of the boat. Interestingly enough, one after another after another, they jumped to their death. I don't know about you, but guy 11, I just think is far more ignorant than guy 1. You know what I mean? If you're the first... <laughs> If you're the first guy, I might give, even guy two might have slipped. But number 11 or 12, like seriously, you need to wise up. <laughs> Something isn't working. You might want to go back to the drawing boards. But this is that idea that I'm going to tempt God to do my bidding. You are not God. Did you hear that? You are not the Savior. You are not the cure. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when, this, when, the, when the enemy takes this verse and says, well, is, here's what it says, and we can get tripped up easily when individuals will come around, knock on your door, trying to t teach you a new way of living. You know those people with the, with the literature? And, they'll, the, and they, will pass, they, will, they will quote Bible verses, won't they? Well, they must really know the Bible. So they must know something. So does the enemy. He was trained in the best seminary in the universe, heaven. 
He knows the Bible better than any of us. He's been studying it longer and studying you longer. He has a simple way of doing it, and he just gets into it different ways, little by little. Oh, this generation's stronger. They're still going to come out with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It's just going to look different. It's just going to look a little different. Verse 7, Jesus responds to that. The scriptures also say, so he could sit there and probably, why he did it and I don't know, just say, well, that's not what it says. It says this. You could get into an arguing match, but Jesus chose to stick to where he was in Deuteronomy, but he went to verse, well, it wouldn't, have, I don't know, chapter 6, but um, th this part of Deuteronomy. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. I'm not going to argue with what you think you know or what you're trying to say that you know. Here's what is true. Stick to the truth. And that's what Jesus did. So the next, uh, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now that might be weird because you're like, well, God's in charge of it all. So he doesn't have any authority. Actually, he does. Uh, doing some synoptic add-ons. Let's talk a little bit about Luke and what he says here. He records, actually, that, that Satan says that these kingdoms are mine, acknowledging that at that moment of sin entering the world, we gave the deed and title of the world to the enemy. That's why he's known as the God of this world. He owns it. You go to Revelation, I think it's five, and we see that there will be a day where Jesus returns in a, in a um, real estate type of transaction that he buys it back. Death, resurrection, blood atonement, all of that then he takes back. But right now, the enemy owns the world. So he acknowledges this, and he says, listen, you can have it all. You can have the crown with no cross. Let's just do it right here and right now. I have it. It can be yours. I'm not asking for much. All I'm saying is bow down and worship me. There's a big deal in that. You're going to get it anyway. You just don't have to go through that hardship you don't have to go through that trial period. You don't ever have to hit the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat blood asking, Lord, uh, take this cup from me. You never have to go there. You never have to go through the pain. It's here. Just take it and it can be yours. I don't know how Jesus responded in his demeanor, but I guess you could just kind of figure out, he just kind of looked at him and said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Deuteronomy 6. Now he's questioning the promises of God. He said he was going to give it to you. Uh, you don't have it. But I do. I'm going to give it to you. All you have to do is just give me a little moment. Give me a little worship. 
and Satan left. Now Luke records it that he left until the next opportunity came. Don't think for a second that Jesus got his three temptations in. Oh, now I understand humans. And then he moves on or something like that. This was, this is the greatest that ever lived. The most pure, literally pure, sinless lamb of God. Don't think for a second that the enemy just gave up. And if he's going to work that hard at someone that did not give in, how much harder do you think he's going to work at someone that has been continually giving in? Not to scare you, but to be aware of the fact that when you step out any door or even in your own mind, the enemy is ready to attack. You need to be ready to withstand it. Now, how do I even deal with this? I mean, Jesus quoted scripture and he's going through these things and yeah, Jesus is 100% man. He's also 100% God. I don't, I don't think that I can resist like he resisted and all this. It's so much more simple than we make it out to be. Really super incredible smart people make us go, oh my gosh, my head hurts. At the end of the day, it is simple. Galatians chapter 5 teaches us the fruit of the Spirit. The last one being self-control. So, so you, mean I can, you mean I can have self-control? It's a fruit of the Spirit. The power that lives in you gives you the power to resist so that you don't have to sin. But we take our eyes off Jesus so often thinking about, how, well, are, are my needs met? These provisions of God? What about the protection of God? Am I really being protected? Maybe I should spend more time here or more time here. Or what about the promise of God? He promised that he would come back one day, but maybe he's not going to come back one day. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Hey, you're going to have a baby. Great, can't wait. Years later, hey, you're going to have a baby. Great, I doubt it. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Hey, you know what? God didn't come through, um, so Sarah provided another way. You know what? Take my servant girl and just do for yourself what God won't do for you. And they had Ishmael. And over in the Middle East, it has been a mess ever since. You can track it all the way back to that. And so it's constant. Well, maybe God, maybe God didn't, maybe God didn't really mean, maybe I miss, then we'll take it. Maybe I misunderstood God. So self-control, Let, let's talk about how this works. First, uh, James chapter 1 walks through how these temptations turn into sin. Because understand, temptation is not sin. Jesus never sinned and he was fully tempted. Sin is sin. Just because you were tempted to do something doesn't mean that you have to do something. So how does this actually morph into sin? Well, James chapter 1 tells us, temptation comes from our own bodies, our own desires. Wait, I thought the devil made me do it. He definitely put some thoughts in your head. Definitely going to make it hard for you to trust. Oh, but wait, you mean this battle that is inside of me is for real? Yeah, because it comes from your own desires or lusts. Lust of the flesh, 
lust of the eyes, pride of life, which entice us and drag us away. Hey, come here, not a big deal. Hey, it's only one time. Who's ever going to know? Come on, just one thing. These desires, verse 15, give birth to sinful actions. So you, have, you see it. Oh, man, that's desirable. And then those desires give birth to sinful actions. Now, there's sin. And when sin allows, is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So first, there's the bait. Then the inner desire is attracted to that bait. The bait's always going to be there. Then the inner, inner desire, oh man, that would be really good. That'd be really nice. I'd love to have that. I wish, I wish I was with him. I wish I was with her. Sin occurs when you yield. I want that. Ah, I'll go get that. And then the final step, sin results to tragic consequences. Man, I don't understand. Why did my family fall apart? I bet we could track it back to the bait. First time that you saw that person, the second time that you intended to, more and more. And before you know it, you go from, oh, there's that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> no one will ever know, just once. I didn't see it coming. That's how it goes. Every generation, same simple attack every time. So how do I get ready for this? You got to stand your guard. Stand your ground. Stand on truth. Study the Bible. Know that when you, when you hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against God actually matters. It's true. And then you're able to recall what you've been learning. And I can't tell you how many times as I'm going through scripture and then I have a moment of prayer or distraction or something comes up and those verses are right there ready in truth and context to be used to fight whatever that thing is. But if you're not actually even trying, no wonder you're falling apart. No wonder it's excessively hard. No wonder you're so down all the time and you don't know how to rise above it because you're not seeking after the one that is to rescue. You're trying to do it on your own in a, I got this culture. Stand your ground, study your Bible, stay near God. I know there are days when you're excessively down, even depressed, and nobody in clinical depression, can, nobody else can tell you, ah, just buck up. That's not a reality, but I'm here to speak into that, to say to you, just show up when you know logically you should show up even if you don't feel it just try just push we will be with you we will pray over you the worst thing you could do is isolate yourself I understand sometimes we just need me time but six months of me time is a bit excessive you need to be with the church family. You don't need to go to church. You need to be with the church as a source of connection and unity and, and prayer and guidance. Family. We need each other. 
to survive. It's not a matter of, I'm just going to put this flavor in my life. It's a war. We need to pray over each other. We need to stand next to one another. We need to challenge and be accountable to one another. Super important. We're going to stop there today. Because I want us to have a few minutes here. And we'll finish up next week and we'll go into the Beatitudes and stuff. I want us to take a moment today. And I want you to really think. Have you truly, authentically given your heart to Christ? Have you said any words similar to, Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you? I accept your free gift of salvation? Have you chosen to walk away from your old life by repenting, going the other way? If not, we need to do that today. This needs to be a day. Truly, I feel this angst inside of me that as much as I want to tell you, well, just keep searching, just keep trying, I don't know how much time we have. So I'm telling you today, you can't wait another day. Today needs to be your day. So let's pray together. Will you bow your head, close your eyes? If you have never given your heart to Christ and you want to receive that today, would you please raise your hand so that I can pray over you today? Yep, I got you. Okay, good. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, together as a church family, I want you to repeat after me. There's no magic, no magic words. It's, it's a heart posture. It's this Submission that you're doing here. So everybody together, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I choose to follow you. I repent of my sins and I invite you into my life. Save my soul and grow me into the believer you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's wonderful, man. Let me just let's just celebrate new people into the family of God. The be, the journey has sit, literally just begun. It is a wild ride, but we're here together to make this happen. Now, for those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, we still need that. We have some business to do. I want you to take a moment now. We're going to pray together. As you see, that one of our core values is prayer, and so I, the Lord showed me that it's cute to have it on a sign, but if you don't do it, it doesn't mean anything. So we're going back into this, right? The heart of prayer, and I want you to bow your heads with me, and I want you just to have a moment of silence and I want you to pray uh, in your heart just pray silently uh, a simple prayer like Heavenly Father is there any temptation in my life that I need to repent of or avoid take a moment with the Lord now
Now, if the Lord has revealed anything to you, just take a moment and repent of that. The temptation's not the sin, but if you have given in to that temptation, have a moment of just asking the Lord for forgiveness and strength to resist that temptation. Heavenly Father, whatever it is that you've revealed to us, whatever you're showing us, for these new believers, Lord, we just worship you, we praise you, not because of our circumstances, but because you're worthy. You are worthy of praise. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's going on in this world, you are always continually worthy of praise. And so we worship you, we praise you for who you are, for your character. Thank you for loving us. The only way that we can love you is because you loved us first. God, strengthen us to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy that though we are tempted, we will not sin. And the only way that we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by your work on the cross is that even possible. May we honor you in our lives each and every day until you come back and take us home in Jesus' name. Amen. Our simple big idea for today is this. Jesus understands temptation too. Jesus understands temptation too. So this week, what temptation are you going to avoid so that you will not sin? Think about This is real stuff. You're not going out of here puffed up today. I'm telling you right now. You're like, man, I better be on guard. Yes. Read your Bible. Stand firm. Talk to your father. Otherwise... You may not make the battle. And I take personal responsibility to continue to teach and to train you so that you have every opportunity to withstand and to grow and to learn and to not only be a disciple, but to disciple. Next week, as we come back together, we'll finish up chapter four, kind of leads us into the Beatitudes anyway, so that'll work out good for us. Will you stand, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today? Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Say it with me, go and be the church.